compassion, trust, courage, innovation. The values of Temecula Valley Hospital. We proudly present TVH Doc Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. Sleep apnea is a common disorder in which you have one or more pauses in breathing or shallow breaths while you sleep. If left untreated, sleep apnea can increase the risk of high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke, obesity, diabetes, and more. My guest today is Dr. Talha Maman. He's a sleep medicine and family physician and a member of the medical staff at Temecula Valley Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Maman. What is sleep apnea and who is most at risk for it? So sleep apnea is a condition in your upper airway or obstructive sleep apnea is a condition in your upper airway where the airway can potentially collapse in the middle of the night, uh, either a partial collapse or a complete collapse of the airway. And when that happens, um, oxygen flow doesn't go in and out of the body. And when oxygen isn't going in and out of the body, it causes your brain to wake up or get aroused for a few seconds. And if this is happening multiple times throughout the night, your sleep quality gets fragmented throughout the night. It's as if someone is waking you up, you know, 10, 15, 20 times an hour. So sleep apnea is, is in essence, a condition where, where you have these pauses or interruptions in breathing patterns. Um, as far as the people that are most likely or prone to having it, uh, typically individuals that have a body mass index or are larger individuals um, tend to have it. Individuals that have larger neck sizes tend to have it. Um, older individuals um, also are more prone to developing sleep apnea as well. So would you know if you had sleep apnea or does it generally come from your partner hearing you do these breathing things in the middle of the night? Well, one way to find out, you know, most of the patients that I see in clinic um, usually come because their, their significant other or their spouse complains of the snoring or the pauses in breathing. Other times, I, uh, patients come in because they just feel sleepy throughout the day. They feel tired. They feel groggy. And they wake up from their sleep, and they just don't feel like they got refreshing sleep, or they don't feel like they're, they feel, you know, energetic in the morning. So most of the time, you know, patients come in for those symptoms. How is it diagnosed? People have heard about sleep studies, Dr. Memon, and they say, well, can I even get a decent night's sleep if I'm, you know, doing a sleep study? So tell us about a sleep study and how you diagnose sleep apnea. Absolutely. So there's two ways to diagnose sleep apnea. Um, one is through an in-lab polysomnogram, which is an in-lab sleep study. And that entails going into a, a sleep facility, and it's like checking into a hotel. You go in around 6, 7 p.m., um, you bring your PJs and toothbrush, and you basically uh, go there and sleep the night. The technician hooks up all of these, a bunch of electrodes on your scalp, on your nose, on your chest, um, on your arms and legs, and it's all these wires that, that go around your body, and they basically measure your brain activity, um, your breathing patterns, your heart rate, your airflow, and all these things put together, put together determine if you have sleep apnea or don't have sleep apnea. Um, I actually did one of, the, one of the sleep studies myself, and I must say it was a bit challenging to fall asleep initially. So I, I typically can fall asleep within about 5-10 minutes, probably took me about 20 or so minutes to fall asleep. So I think, I think the initial portion of it is a little more difficult to fall asleep, but most people tend to be able to sleep um, in the sleep study. 
Um, all we need truly is about three to four hours of good data, um, and that's enough to diagnose whether you have it or don't. The other option in terms of diagnosing sleep apnea is through a home sleep study, which can be done at home at the convenience of you know your own bed. And if if your doctor feels like you're a good candidate for that, then you can get that done as well. If you've determined that someone does have apnea, then what are some first-line treatments? So our gold standard treatment is um, the CPAP device, which stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure Therapy. Um, It basically is a, you know, it's it's a device that stands for, you know, like I mentioned, uh, Continuous Positive Airway Pressure Therapy, and it shoots positive pressure through this box uh, or this apparatus, which connects to a tube, which connects to a face mask. And the whole idea behind a CPAP is to keep your airway open like a splint. Um, at night when you're sleeping. So that's one option that you have. Another option is an oral appliance, um, which you see heavily advertised actually these days on TV, which may work in very, you know, a very few set, subset of population, but overall it doesn't work too well. Um, and then you have surgery as, as the final option. And, and again, you know, options two and three, which are oral appliance and surgery, are usually not the, the best treatment options for uh, sleep apnea. What about lifestyle changes? What lifestyle changes do you recommend patients do to help them with their sleep apnea? Are there things that they can do? Well, clearly weight's a, you know, a big component of developing sleep apnea, and lifestyle changes in terms of, of weight loss plays a key role in, in um, at least eliminating or reducing the sleep apnea. So, so a lot of the times I, I usually recommend patients to start exercising, or and simple exercising could be just just walking, walking for about thirty minutes a day, for five days a week is considered you know excellent exercise for the body. Um, eating right also plays a key role in that as well. Um, carbs is such a key component to to our diet with you know bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, um, sugary drinks. So all of these things play a big role in terms of weight gain. And if we start to watch what we're eating and try to minimize the intake of these things that potentially helps with reducing sleep apnea as well. People like to say a glass of wine helps them to sleep. Is that a myth? No, it's absolutely right. Uh, A glass of wine will help you fall asleep, but the problem is alcohol tends to cause um, awakenings, early morning awakenings. So it may allow you to fall asleep quickly, but it's also going to cause you to wake up pretty, pretty quickly also. So kind of give it a wrap-up for us about sleep apnea and what you want listeners to know about recognizing the symptoms and, if left untreated, the complications that could arise. If, if you're at home, either you or your, your partner, and you notice snoring or you notice pauses in breathing, and if you're complaining of feeling tired, fatigued, groggy, sleepy, then the sleep apnea is definitely something that need, needs to be considered as, as a diagnosis. And if you're feeling these symptoms, you potentially might want to go see, see your local doctor to discuss those symptoms. Now, sleep apnea is, is really important to diagnose and to treat because primarily because of its cardiovascular risk and effects that it, that it may have. Just like um, uh, you, when you have high blood pressure, you try to treat it to reduce the, or minimize the risk of stroke and heart attack, Similarly, when you have sleep apnea, you're also at a higher risk for developing high blood pressure, stroke, um, different arrhythmias or irregular heartbeats, 
um, and coronary artery disease or, or heart, heart attacks. So these are all important things that we need to um, obviously prevent and to live a longer and healthier life, and sleep apnea potentially can cause that. So to treat sleep apnea um, would potentially reduce the risk of these things, and that's quite important. And Dr. Memon, just a little advice about sleep hygiene. What do you tell people about the importance of getting that good quality night's sleep? I think maintaining a consistent schedule is very crucial. Um, I see a lot of patients that come in uh, with with these weird, not weird, but these long duration of, of bedtime schedules in the sense of they're, they're laying in bed from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. or... Um, they're just, uh, you know, on their phones and browsing the internet on their in their beds. So I think it's what, what's probably the most crucial component of a, a good sleep hygiene is maintaining a good time to go to bed and a good time to wake up and being consistent about that. You don't want to spend more than about eight to nine, eight hours in bed consistently. So maintaining a good bedtime schedule, good wake time schedule is important, and always keeping you know, about 30 to 45 minutes before bedtime as, as downtime to relax, to kick back, to take some time out for yourself. But that doesn't necessarily mean getting on a, getting on an iPhone or, you know, giving yourself too much, that's too many things that stimulate the brain because that obviously will impede your ability to fall asleep if, if you're trying to sleep right after that. And why should they come to Temecula Valley Hospital for their care? So Temecula Valley Hospital is a great hospital because of the multi- disciplinary approach that it has. They have physicians that are, come from all various backgrounds and do various various different specialties, and, and they truly care for their patients, and, and, and that's truly seen when you see the patients and their satisfaction. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Memon. You're listening to TVH Doc Talk with Temecula Valley Hospital. For more information, you can go to TemeculaValleyHospital.com. That's TemeculaValleyHospital.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Temecula Valley Hospital. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.